Hello and welcome to the Real Talk podcast, a podcast that explores the real life stories of overcoming challenges, personal development and what it takes to operate at an elite level. Now, this show would not be possible without the team at ECO. Uh, ECO are one of the UK's most exciting and rewarding sales and customer service contact centres, working with some of the UK's biggest and best brands. ECO have contact centres in the North East in Sunderland and in South Yorkshire in the heart of Sheffield City Centre. Uh, they're always recruiting for the best and the most elite level sales and customer service personnel. Give them a follow on social media and visit ecoutsourcing.co.uk forward slash careers to find out more. Now, on to today's episode. Um, today I was joined by Matt Piper. Uh, Matt is a former Premier League footballer with Leicester City and with Sunderland as well. Um, Matt has a very unique story. He had a very short footballing career, professional footballing career, cut short due to injury. Um, once football had been sort of taken away from him, he found himself in a very dark place where he turned to alcohol and to drugs. Thankfully, Matt got the help that he needed uh, and the support from Tony Adams' charity Sporting Chance. Uh, he's turned his life around. He's now growing a fantastic football and sports academy for the youngsters in Leicester uh, and the surrounding areas. Um, Matt is a, is a genuinely nice guy, does a lot of charity work. I hope that you get as much from this as I did. Let's get into it. Right, guys, uh, welcome to episode 10 of the Real Talk with ECO podcast. Um, today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by a former Premier League footballer, uh, Matt Piper, Sunderland and Leicester. Leicester born. How are you doing? You all right? Leicester born indeed, my friend. Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No, I mean, it's a, it's a pleasure. And it was, we're just chatting there. You've, you've, you had quite a unique career in football. Um, in that, and you know, you, you you had some challenges thrown your way. For those who weren't aware of of, of your career in football, do you want to just kind of give a, a brief overview of uh, of your time within in the Premier League? Yeah, I will do, mate. It, I mean, it was brief. Um, I sort of grew up in Leicester, as you said, born in Leicester, grew up in Leicester. Sort of went all the way through the general channels that that young footballers normally do when they play for their hometown club. Got in the first team around 19, uh, played 20 or so games for Leicester City, and then we got relegated out of the Premier League. And then um, and then Sunderland came a-calling, uh, who was still in the Premier League. And it was a big move for me, but I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave Leicester. I'm sort of the hometown boy. Uh, all my family's here, all my friends were here. And I was just looking forward to playing for Leicester in the Championship. Yeah. But uh, that wasn't to be. The club were on the, the administration, so they said they needed the money. So reluctantly, at the start, I I moved to Sunderland. But when I when I got there, I I loved it. You know, the passion in the the fans, the football club, the way they looked after me when I first got in there, and um, I started really well. But then I got injured after the first twelve or so games. And then literally from then on for the next four years was just injury after injury. And yeah. in the end, I, I think I only played, you know, 30, 40 games for Sunderland in a four or five year period. So it turned into a bit of a nightmare, mate. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you, you know, you can tell from my accent, I'm uh, from the northeast, but I'm on the other side of the water. Uh, well, my allegiance is on the other side of the water. I actually work in Sunderland, <laughs> but I'm, 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 a, I'm a mag uh, through and through. Was it was there something about um, your sort of 
you know, your upbringing in Leicester and the kind of people, because I've been to Leicester a few times and I've seen and, and spoke to a lot of the people um, and there seems to be a correlation between you guys down there and us up here, just hard work and grafting people. Did you mm. find that when you came up to, to, to the North East that there was a similarity in, in the type of people? Yeah, without doubt, mate. I mean, before I came up, um, the first time I came up was to meet Peter Reid. And I was thinking, Sunderland, where's that? And I thought, <laughs> I did. I had to have a look on the map. And because I, tra- I travelled out of Leicester a lot, but normally it was further down south. Yeah. And the furthest north I went really was Nottingham. Yeah. So it was it was a big shock to me. And, I, and, and the first time I went up there and, and the people, the, uh, what's good... What what I love most about the Northeast is the people, how friendly they are. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be opposite. Um, but you sort of go out in London. I was going out in London at the time when I was playing for Leicester and, and going down there a lot. And people sort of don't talk to you. Yeah. No one says morning or how are you doing? You know, strangers on the street, yeah. um, which I found weird. But as soon as I got to Sunderland, and it wasn't because I was a footballer because... No one really knew me at that time. So yeah. when I was up in the Northeast and people are friendly and how are you doing and you stopping talking to strangers on the street, I think that's what's very similar to the sort of upbringing that I had in Leicester. So I'd agree that, that we're from like similar backgrounds, definitely. Did that, did that sort of make it easier for you to settle in the area, the fact that you, you, you felt a sort of a similarity between the, the people and, and the people back home? It did, mate. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest, I, when I was coming up there, I didn't see many people that looked like me. Yeah. Um, so I thought, normally when that happens, you think, oh, the, you know, I wasn't expecting racism or anything like yeah. that, but you, you just, you feel, Leicester's very multicultural. Yeah. So you sort of walking around and no one takes a second look. You sort of get up into Sunderland and you, I, I didn't see another another black person yeah. For, for for the first few days. And so you're a little bit on edge. But what sort of changed that very quickly was how warm and welcoming the people are. Yeah. And I knew that wasn't just because I was playing for Sunderland. Yeah. It was everywhere I went in the Northeast, you know, older folk, younger kids, everyone just being really warm and welcoming. So um, I settled in very quickly because of that fact. Yeah. I think, and having spent a little bit of time in London myself, it's like... When you go to London, they automatically assume that you, you 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 mean harm or you mean something, you know, you mean bad. Whereas in the Northeast, I think it's sort of like you're innocent until you're proven guilty type of thing. So when you come up to the Northeast, you're just you're one of us until you step yeah. out of line, or until you, regardless of, of ethnicity, regardless of skin colour, it's just a case of you come up here, you embed yourself in our culture, and yeah. you're one of us. That's it. And you know, whereas it's the yeah. opposite. The further south you go it's the automatically assume ill of you and do you know what I mean? So I yeah, it's, it, it, it is. It, and a lot of people have said that about, especially about Newcastle, but I don't think it's just Sunderland that has that, that it, it's, you know, you've got Yorkshire and, and Sheffield. I was there yesterday and you know, mm. like it's a very Northern thing. When you yeah. go to London, it just turns it, you know, I mean, I, I remember opening a, a door. I can't remember where I was, but somewhere around King's Cross, opening a door for this old lady and she looked at us as if I, I was going to mug her or something. <laughs> and you just think, like, hold on a minute. Like, I'm doing, you know, respect your elders. That's how I was brought up. So you do that. And then she just looked at us and it was as if to say, like, you're going to steal me bag or something. And you just think, like, how, how yeah, is that yeah. even, you know. Um, Spot yeah, on, mate. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, That's exactly it, what it's like. They're very down south. It's very cynical thinking. Yeah. Like when you when people are wary of of everyone, yeah. and and listen, I love dip, dipping in and out of London, yeah. and I always have done, but I'd never want to live down there. It's not as yeah. friendly and as open as I like. You know, Leicester or the northeast. Because I think you didn't you say as well that on the one of the podcasts I listened to that there was an opportunity for you to go to Southampton at the same time as there was Sunderland. Do you ever yeah. sort of do you ever think that opinion that you know the, the further south you go, the sort of the more sceptical people are? Do you think that might have changed if you'd spent a lot more time sort of further south? Do you think, or do you think that that wouldn't have changed your opinion? It may it may have changed me as a person um, because I think. You know, a lot of people that you meet in London are not actually from London. Yeah. They're, they're, they're from further north or further south and they, they go to London to work and end up living there. And it changes them as people. Uh, my older brother was from, was from London right. and he was always a friendly character, but he moved away to Birmingham because he was a right. professional cricketer, my older brother. Right. Not many okay. people know that. He played for um, Warwickshire. Right. And yeah, he played for Warwickshire. And, and he's really quite famous because when Brian Lara scored the 501 yeah um that is still a record today my brother was at the other end scoring his biggest score ever 100 oh, wow. and 193 i think um yeah so but yeah so he sort of he sort of gave me the inside scoop on london yeah and as a young star because he lived with my grandma and granddad because he was at yeah. um cricketing college down in london when i was younger and he sort of gave me the inside scoop that, listen, don't trust anyone down here. Yeah. Um, so that I, I think it's inbred into the people that live down in London that you, you've got to be cynical. But I, yeah. I think it might have changed me as a person if I had moved south rather than north. Because the, the funny thing was, when I finished at Sunderland, I realised that I'd become much more of an open person even yeah. what I was um, before I got to Sunderland. Yeah. Um, so obviously you moved to Sunderland, injury sort of curtailed the footballing career and then obviously you had a period of trying to find and figure out what your, your new thing was. Now it, it's widely um, sort of publicised and you've been quite open about it which I think helps about your struggles with addiction, um, mm. alcohol and finding something to, to replace football. Um, what... Like, do you think that's made you go? Having gone through that, do you think that's made you better as a person, but also as a as a businessman now? I think so, mate. It's it's so difficult to to sort of put my finger on, you know, the guy I am now, and how I got to become this guy. Yeah. And was it because I went through all all the low periods and sort of came through them, the depression, the the addiction to drugs and drink, um, some of the nightmare situations that I put myself in and put people that I loved in who, who were very close to me. It's, it's hard to put my finger on because I'd still like to think that I would be this guy now, but, you know, common sense tells you I probably wouldn't be yeah. um, because you develop into a person through experience. So I um, think there's a... Um... What I've certainly what I've found and seen in businesses there's a correlation, especially with mental health, um, in, and there's a there's an expectation, especially as a man, to be bulletproof. You know, you can't mm. talk about mental health. You've just got to suck up and get on with it, and just you know. Um, 
do you think that's when you've gone into business do you think you've been more aware of taking it easy sussing out stress points and, and looking after yourself a little bit better if you'd just gone straight from football into business and never had that experience that you had mm. um would you, uh, you know would you be less appreciative of the importance of looking after your body and your mind you know what i mean like w- would that have changed you do you think yeah definitely um, that's one thing I can say with it, without doubt. I mean, um, some of the situations that I sort of went through um, allow you... Uh, one good thing that it is it allows you to gain a lot more empathy. Yeah. And when you have empathy, especially in business, people think it's a weakness. I don't yeah. think it is. I think, it, I think it's powerful it's having, having yeah. empathy. Yeah, and... Because when you're making business decisions or you're trying to grow, and a lot of the things that I do is relationships with different people and partnerships throughout the business. And that has helped me massively um, grow the FSD Academy to to sort of where it is now. I think, again, you you hit the nail on the head there with empathy. Like, you show any, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you show any empathy to anyone it was it was seen exactly as that is a weakness you know like there's something wrong with you if you you know thinking yeah. about this person's feelings or whatever um but like i mean the size of our business now i mean we've got about 500 people and like you can't not grow a business or any kind of team for that matter to you know put it in context mm. for you you're trying to grow a team of of management within your uh, academy the players everyone if mm. you have no empathy, you've you've lost the dressing room. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just people aren't going to respond to you if you if you don't sort of show that level of self awareness and, and empathy. Um, on the other uh, the under the Kosh podcast that I'd listened to, you mentioned like two really really important words for me uh, was mm. focus and structure. Coming out of that mm. period, um, you know where you, you you struggled with alcohol and drugs and you kind of lost your purpose a little bit. You said. Um, you know, you mentioned focus and structure. You mentioned you've replaced now football with business. You've got a goal to kind of mm. to keep your focus on. Um, yeah. Does that evolve for you? Does that go, is there a, a, a incremental goals that you set yourself um, to keep your sort of interest to keep you fresh, or is is there just one overarching goal that you you, you strive for? No, for me, it's always. It's always um, evolving. Um, The first purpose, like I said, when the purpose to own my own academy and help inner city kids from from Leicester started back in 2009, while I was in rehab in 2009, I didn't actually get the academy started until late 2016. Um, But it was a a building process. So I had the thought, I want to own my own academy and I want to have 50, 60, 70 kids, um, and I want my own premises, and I want to run a life skills program with it. So there was all these ideas, but that was the huge goal that I had. Um, What what has really helped me over the years is is setting short-term goals, but the huge goal um, is out in front. So that purpose, what I talk about, is always pulling me forward. Yeah. Always. If you set your goals too small, as soon as you've achieved it, that's when the structure comes away from yeah. from my life. The focus comes away, 
and there's nothing pulling me forward anymore. Um, and that's all right if you're ready to then set a new goal. But I'd prefer to set a massive goal early on yeah. um, and then set small goals to try and pull you pull you forward because while you've still got that big goal and you've not completed what you've wanted to do yet, that's what's going to pull you forward. And that was the, that was the trouble with me um, in my football career. You know, if you ask me from eight years old, all I ever want to do is see myself on match of the day, win trophies and be a professional footballer playing in the Premier League. Now, once you get to 19 and you're living that huge goal that you had, what was important then, I should have set another goal. Yeah. And I, and I would have had another purpose to keep me moving forward. And, and I didn't use any of these skills as soon as I become a professional footballer. So what happens when that is all over because of injury? There's no goal there. There's no purpose. And then life, for me, became a real struggle. Yeah. I mean, I think as well, I mean, at the time, I mean, you were 19. What was that sort of 1994? How old were you when you signed for Sunderland? Yeah, year 2000, but I signed for Sunderland in 2002. If you think, you know, you think about that, the world in terms of content and influence is a very different place. Like we now, you you go on on LinkedIn or Facebook and you you always see these... um, videos or, or graphics of motivational stuff and you know always invest in yourself and stuff like you know you didn't we didn't have that in 2000 no. do you know what i mean in 2002 so like it's one of those things where kids now that are in your situation or in the situation you found yourself in as a young professional footballer um have more support and more um influence and inspiration and, and guidance from people the internet whatever and they'll yeah. be taught that kind of thing. We weren't taught that one when, when we were nineteen, twenty. Nobody had yeah. heard of self awareness or setting goals. It was just I'm a professional footballer or I've become a teacher. That's it. That's where it stops. You know. Um, yeah. Do you? I mean, I know obviously you're a, a, a dad as well. Are you keen to kind of pass that on to your kids in terms of goal setting early on, or do you kind of want them to make their own mistakes and and, and sort of learn their way? Do you think? Yeah, it's it's such it's a such a difficult one, mate. It's a great question because I always question myself whether um, because I don't want to be that dad, especially or with the kids on my academy. What is this is the way you do it because yeah. I've had success doing it this way, so it's important you do it like this. Um, so obviously, I talk about goal setting, how important it is. Um, I think, in, in my own opinion, how important it is to have a purpose. Um, uh, but I can't shove it down their necks yeah. because you you know yourself. My old man used to shove things down my neck that I oh, yes <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah, believe yeah. in it. And in the end, you turn your back on yeah. certain things that you're saying, even if it's great advice. Yeah. Um, you just don't know it at the time, and you don't want to be hearing it twenty four seven. So it's such a difficult one to try and get the balance right. For instance, now my youngest plays for Burton. Yeah. Uh, he was at Leicester, he's moved to Burton, he's only 11, but he's probably more talented than I was at that age. But really? my dad was, yeah, he's, he's really talented, mate. But my dad was the kind of character that used to try and influence how I thought 24-7. 
if yeah, I yeah. ate a chocolate bar, you shouldn't be eating that. If you want to be a yeah. professional footballer, footballers don't eat that. If you're not going to bed at half seven, it used to have a go at me. If I'm not performing well on an England trial, it used to have a go at me. So I've sort of been the opposite yeah. with my young boy. I'm, I'm like, mate, if you want to stay up, you stay up. Yeah. And you do what you want. You make your own decisions. But when I was younger, I, I couldn't do that because yeah. my old man wouldn't let me. Yeah. So I sort of give him that breathing space. But in the end, I think if he gets to 17 and don't make it and he turns around to me and he says, I wish you would push me more. I wish yeah. you would give me more influence. Um, that's one thing I'm going to have to accept because yeah. I, I don't know which way to do it. I'm just doing it the way I think is best for him. Yeah. And I mean, is that one of the sort of philosophies that you have at the academy is for all of the coaches and all of the sort of people of influence to not be that authoritative, this is the way you'll do it kind of boss. You want to be the let's figure out the best way for you type of leader. Do you know what I mean? Is that something that's kind of embedded into what you do on a daily basis with those guys? Yeah, it, it, it is, mate. I mean, I, I've got a business partner. And my business partner is is like my dad was. Right, okay. Um, so we've got a mix at the academy, and I can see that some boys enjoy listening to Owen Moore, my yeah. business partner, and the way he sort of um, sets up how he's going to relay information. Yeah. And then a lot of the boys like how I do it. Yeah. Now, we, we've been running, obviously, four years now, and we've got some terrific results. Um, and I wouldn't say I've in influenced more of them results than my business partner has. I think yeah. it's been a mix of both. I just don't think it can always come from one person. Yeah, it's got to have a balance between the two. I think so, because, you you know, all of a sudden you start looking fake. If, you, if you're being really strong and this is the way to do it and sort of that kind of leader, very authoritative... Yeah. And then at, at other times you're not and you're, it, it will look, it will be confusing messages, I think. So yeah. if I was the main boss on my own, I would definitely surround myself with people that could give a different point of view from me and yeah. a different kind of style in the management team. It's a bit more balanced than just one sort of one point of view. Um, yeah, I think so. So, I mean... The academy's been going now. You said it, it got up and running in twenty sixteen. Um, have you achieved all of those things that you wanted to, like having your own premises and things like that? Like, is that that's all in place now? Yeah, well, sort of halfway there. Um, I'm sort of doing a deal with the mayor of Leicester at the minute to try and get our actual own spot, what right. we own, okay. on a on a long term lease. At the minute, we're we're renting off a local football club but what I've done is sort of build our own little empire at the side of it okay. so we've got now we've got three portable classrooms a portable gym a portable office um, all the groundwork's done all the security all the fencing so it feels like ours yeah but it's not actually our land we don't own it so yeah. I've sort of it's a it's a mix of the two but Hopefully, them negotiations go well with the mayor of Leicester, and he he gives us our own spot. So once once you've achieved that, what you know, I mean, as you say, you've had that since twenty 
12 so 8 years what's the next 8 years for, for the business like, where do you see it going from, from here so as I say it's always evolving so the next part of the business plan would be to be our own football club Um, And the reason why we decided to go down that route is um, because that's a that's a goal that that will never be fully achieved. And they're the goals that I like the best, because as I spoke about earlier, they're the goals that are always going to keep you dragging forward. Yeah. Um, So obviously I look at people like Gary Neville and what he's done with Salford Sitter. Obviously, we're a million miles away from that, um, but it shows you how huge that goal is. Yeah. Um, and even if we got to where Gary Neville is and with Salford City, then you, you're looking at teams like teams in the Premier League, teams in the Champions League. So it's, it probably won't happen in my lifetime, but because it's such a huge goal, yeah. there is never a chance... Um, especially in the next 20, 30 years, that I will have a Premier League team called the FSD Academy. Yeah. So you can see what my mind works like now. You know, I thought yeah. when I was eight that playing in the Premier League was the hugest goal ever. It, and when I got there, I should have reset another goal. Right, England, World Cup, yeah. um, best player in the world, and, and you see the players that keep evolving year on year, the best players in the world, Ronaldo and Messi, they're not happy. I bet Ronaldo's goal list says he wants 15 Ballon d'Ors. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it yeah, always yeah. keeps you moving forward and you never rest on your laurels and think, right, I've achieved that goal now. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's important to set them huge goals, I think. I mean, I read something the other day, I think... Is he said he wants to be the first player into his, I don't know, his 50s, I don't know how old he is now, or 40s it might have been. Um, mm. But the scientist guy was saying, like, because of how well he looks after his body, there's every chance that that could, you know. So I think it, it is, it's one of those, it's it's one of the keys to success, I would say, in, in, in your right, in the ability to set yourself a lot of short term goals. Um, mm. And once you've achieved one, then obviously move on to, to the next one. Um, mm. I'm assuming one of those uh, goals, one of them small short-term goals, has been your new book. How did that come about? Yeah, that was a that was a strange one, really. The book was I actually went to the author of the book. He he works at Four Four Two magazine. You know the football magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's deputy editor of Four Four Two, and he lived in Leicester, but I didn't I didn't know him. And he sort of emailed me and he said, I'm deputy editor of 442. I live in Leicester. I'm a Leicester fan. Will you do a, an, an interview? This was back in early 2019. Right. And I thought, wow, this is pretty strange because obviously the football career was long dead a long time ago. Yeah. And I wasn't a household name anyway because my career wasn't big. So I thought, yeah, I'll do an interview. And... It was such a good interview because he asked me certain questions that not a lot of people asked. He asked, very similar to this interview, he asked more about how life was now, the struggles that um, I'd gone through. Because I had touched on them briefly since I finished football, but I hadn't really sat down and done a full-blown interview about the struggles. Yeah. 
So I decided it was probably the first time ever, other than when I was in rehab, that I thought, you know what, I'm going to tell him the truth. Yeah. And I sat there and literally I'm looking over at this bloke and I'm telling my story of drugs, drink, rehab, meeting Gaza in rehab, yeah. crashing cars, waking up in places with no clothes that I didn't know where I was and drug dealers trying to get me to work for them and all this kind of crazy stuff. And he literally sat there open mouthed. And then I thought, oh, wow, I probably have been a bit too open here. Yeah. And he was like, no, mate, this is fantastic. And anyway, he put the story out and he rang me about a month later, uh, a couple of months later, and he said, the story's gone out on our online um, 442. And by this time, it was about October, I think. And he said, so far, it's the seg second uh, biggest red story of 2019 in the magazine wow. or online. So I said, wow, who was the first? And he said, a story we did on Sergio, Sergio Aguero. Oh. So I was like, who have you done stories with in 2019? And he said, everyone, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, we've done stories on everyone. And he said, but yours has been the second biggest red. So I was like, wow. And it, it, it was obviously because people don't just want to hear about football. Yeah. They want to hear about the life of footballers and and not always when it goes right. You know, the trophies that you win yeah. or the amount of money you make or the cars that you drive, they want to hear that real story. Yeah. So, and it just got before Christmas 2019 and he rang me again. He said, mate, I think you need to consider doing a book. So I laughed and I was like, mate, there's no way I'm doing a book. <laughs> and, then, and then he got all the way to about, he kept asking me, month on month, he kept asking me. And then it got to about April 2020. And I, he rang me again. He said, what do you think? Let's do it. He said, I've sort of put a, a, a few ideas together of how I'd set it up and how I'd deliver it. Um, and I read what he put. It was only a short sort of A4 um, piece of writing that he put together but it made me intrigued reading it and it was obviously about my story he picked out a few of the bits and he sort of you know two doctors standing over me trying to section me my mum's in the background crying you're like oh my yeah. god this is unbelievable <laughs> and it was like my story so I was like yeah mate let's do it so then we sat down and he, he bashed that book out in about three months and it was ready with the publishers after about three months. Um, so that's sort of how it came about. And I'm so pleased now just because I did not want to do the book. And I didn't want to earn anything from the book. All the money that, that comes from the book, um, I've already given away. The, yeah. the rehab place that helped me and my FSD Academy. Yeah. So all the money that I earned from the book, which... I know this is a podcast, but don't tell no one. The money in books is awful, <laughs> especially <laughs> for the guy telling the story or the author. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. Um, so there aren't, there, there's not that much coming from it anyway, but I gave that money away because I was just like, I can't believe how many people, mate, have, have bought it, number one, yeah. but number two, have sent me messages saying that it's helped them in yeah. their struggles and they, they just enjoyed someone being really open and honest about about the dark stuff yeah and i think 
you mentioned that. I mean, I'm very open about my own struggles with with mental health, um, and I've had a, a sort of a, a period recently where I really struggled. And it's you you mentioned something there when you said I'm going to be open and honest with them. I think mm. pe- there's 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 levels like peeling back an onion with with mental health. If you mm. ask somebody with 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 um, that is struggling with their mental health, nine times out of ten, I think you'll get ah, I'm all right. Yeah. And then you peel that back a little bit and you might get somebody that says, nah, I'm actually I'm quite struggling at the minute. But then mm. you get down to the root of it, which is obviously is the level that, that you were at when you've, you've spoken to, to the writer of the book. And mm. I think it's, it's that, that when people read that level of honesty about mm. struggles, it's amazing how many people go, I have that, I have that thought, or I've been at that point. And you realise how much of a, of a common... Uh, thing yeah. having whether it's OCD, anxiety, depression, whatever it may be, um, mm. and I think it's people find it sort of therapeutic almost to read and go, it's not just me. You yeah. Know? So I, I take my hat off to you for for being that honest because there is such still even now such a stigma around mm. being open and honest about mental health. Um, mm. have, I mean, what have you had? messages from people who have been in exactly the same situation that you were have you had mm. other ex-pros reach out to you and say look uh, mm. this has happened to me yeah a few i mean the ones that i find not difficult but the the i because i take it on myself to i open my dms up on my yeah. social um on my social media so on twitter and on instagram and i said listen if anyone's struggling I'm not a professional in any way, but I'm here to listen. I'll, I'll give you the best advice that, that I can give and, and, and what's helped me in my life. And the amount of people that, that came through and really went deep with the information that they, they were sort of giving me and how much of a struggle it is. And, you know, people sort of in that worst place possible on the edge of, you know, taking their own life yeah. where I was. And I found that really difficult because I could I could feel, e- even just reading, you know, some of the messages that how vulnerable that person was at that moment. Yeah. And it, w- it was such a hard place to be because obviously I'm not a professional. Yeah. So I was only just trying to give my advice and obviously I had that empathy so I think that helped because with my replies I've been through what that person's been through but I found it a real struggle because you don't want to say the wrong thing yeah and I think I'm I think I'm self-aware enough and I know what I would have wanted to hear at at those moments that I was at my lowest that you don't want to hear things like oh you'll be all right keep your head up it's not the end of the world you know yeah you know, you got to be tougher than that. Those kind of things, those kind of sort of cliche sayings that yeah. us blokes always say to each other is they don't help. They, they really don't. So I knew not to say things like that and give that information, but I was just there for people. And it is hard. It is hard because, you know, if someone says to you, how are you, how are you mate? And you say, do you know what? I, I'm, I'm struggling. 
that person will think, oh, God, I wish I hadn't have asked. Cause, yeah, yeah. And it's only because they don't know what to say. But my advice to people is, all you have to do is, re- is be honest. I, I'm, I try and be as honest as possible. If someone says to me they're really struggling, I say, listen, I'm, I'm, I may say the wrong thing. Obviously, I don't want to, but all I'm, all I'm here for is to listen to you. And if I can help in any way possible, I'm here to, to help and to listen yeah. and to show you that support. And in my experience, the people that did that to me when I was really struggling, that was a real help to me. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've sort of took on in, in my life now. And it's, it's incredible because once you've been like that and you sort of give that information to people that you're there to listen, that's all people want. Even yeah. some of the young lads on my academy, you know, the 16, 17-year-olds, yeah. which is kind of scary to me that even at that age, these kids are struggling. And they feel like they haven't got anyone to speak to. So if it's me or if it's one of my staff uh, that they can speak to and it, it helps and supports them or we can signpost them yeah. to, to places that can help them, that's what's important to me. And the great thing is that this is what I say to people all the time. Once you're that honest and open with uh, your own struggles – when anyone talks to you or you feel you've given a piece of information or a bit of advice or you've just sat there and listened to someone for 20 minutes and you can tell that you've helped that person, yeah. it raises you up as well yeah. and you feel better. So that's that, why it's so important to keep talking to, to people. That was going to be my next question. Have, have you found the whole process of obviously going through um, the process of, of writing the book and then obviously you're receiving messages on, on social media have you found that therapeutic to you to, to share this journey almost of, of, of managing mental health have you found that therapeutic in that process massively um it's so the, the the there's three times in my life where i've really shared all the the deepest darkest uh you know despairs of what i've been through in life uh, one was um, in rehab, yeah. and two was the 442 interview, and three was the book. Yeah. And every time I've sat there and just spoke about everything and sort of got it off my chest are the times that I felt the most free, yeah. really. Um, so because you get that good feeling when you've sort of shared and people accept you know what you've been through and the thought process that you're in at the time it it lifts you it lifts you up and so especially after the books come out i thought it's time to just be as open and honest yeah. as possible as much as i can and sometimes you you you're open and honest to people that don't really want you to be that open and honest yeah yeah you, and that's that and yeah but what you need to what i tell people they need to understand is you're going to get that in life you're going to have that you know and some people will say to me oh wow you've just overshared with that piece piece of information yeah but you know that's who i am now that's the character that i am so it's important to me to if someone asks me how you feeling today i say a bit down a little bit depressed this morning so i've gone for a run 
I'm obviously talking to you and telling you. And, you know, some people don't like it, but yeah. it's it's the way it is. And as you said earlier, to raise that stigma, we have all got to talk more. Yeah. No, I think, and to be honest, I think what you're doing, you know, being in a, in a high-profile um, position and talking about it almost makes it does one of two things it kind of makes people realize well these footballers are actually human and mm. then it also kind of makes the people that are um that i think that they're just an average joe kind of go well it, it just levels this up a bit do you know what i mean like the, it's yeah. we're all in this together whether you're the queen of england mm. or whether you're a, you know you work in a in an office like mm. we're all in this together we're all the same regardless of status or financial wealth or whatever we all struggle. The more we all mm. share, the more it sort of destigmatizes things, but also it just mm. it lifts that weight that's on your shoulders when you think it's you, and especially with mental health, when it's all in here, it's all internalized. Mm. Like I, I found it. Sometimes I'll have like these intrusive thoughts that I just the more I keep them to myself, you kind of go, mm. "Oh, this is real." The more you repeat it over and over again, this is real, this is real. and then you mm. see it out loud to somebody. Like my wife, mm. God bless her, like she puts up with so much of my like my madness. But I'll say mm. things to, out loud to her, and she'll go, "Have you heard yourself?" Do you know what I mean? Mm. Do you realise how ridiculous that is? And then mm. it, you kind of calm down. But if you don't have that outlet, mm. and it's all in your head, like you know, it's 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 a dark place to be. Um, so I, I do I, I take my hat off to you for for being that person to. Um, you know, to, to break down the, the stigma and the walls around uh, mental health, especially on social media as well. It's a great place to do it because there's a lot of mental mm. health, you know, that, that sort of gets a bad rap. Uh, or mental health gets a bad rap on social yeah. media, you know. So being that sort of shining light to kind of say, I'm here if you need is, like, that's just going to yeah. hopefully do endless amounts of good. Um, mate, I, I, could talk, so, mate. I could talk all day long uh, and I could certainly give you a lot of grief for playing for Sunderland but we'll keep that for another <laughs> podcast uh, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, uh, I wish you nothing but the best on your journey both with your, with your mental health and with your businesses and family and everything, um, thank you for joining me we're going to do a, um, a book giveaway as well I think you've got two um, signed yep. books that we're going to give away so we haven't decided how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll obviously we'll we'll keep in touch on on social media, mate. But listen, all the best. I hope you and the family have a, a great Christmas and a, a very very prosperous New Year, mate. And the same to you, Phil. Thanks for having me right. on, mate. It's been brilliant. No problem, mate. All the very best, and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, mate. Take care, mate. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Bye, bye, bye. Once again, massive thank you to Matt for joining us on the podcast. Um, we've got two signed copies of Matt's book, Out of the Darkness, From Top to Rock Bottom, My Story in Football, which he's written with 442's Joe Bruin. Um, it's a fantastic read. Uh, I'm sure lots of football fans and non-football fans will absolutely love it. We're giving away two copies, two signed copies of the book. All you've got to do is go on to your favourite podcast platform and leave us a review five stars would be fantastic four stars will, will be fine um so yeah apple spotify whatever podcast platform you're on leave us a review send us a screenshot on social media uh if you just search for the real talk uh, podcast send us a, a dm uh, or tag us tweet us with a screenshot uh, and you'll go into the draw once we reach 30 reviews then we'll be giving away these two signed copies of matt's book out of the darkness from top to rock bottom 
Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Take care.